we'll begin this new year with the gospel. My hope is to be brief this morning because I only have two questions for you. Uh, in fact, Jesus has these two questions for us. He, he asks them to his disciples, but because we know that the scriptures are true today, he asks these two questions to us. The one is more important than the other, but you'll see that in a moment. Now, what I generally do when I unpack the scriptures is I, I read the passage, and then I pray, and then we dive in. But because I want to walk through these verses, literally verse by verse, permit me to pray first, and then we'll dive into God's word. And so by your heads, Father, thank you so much for your word. We ask that it would transform our lives. And so, God, would you meet us where we are, that many have walked in here thinking about different things, worried about different things, but, God, you are aware of those. And so, Holy Spirit, would you cause us to be quiet enough, so quiet that we would hear from you? And as these questions are being given to us, Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Ghost, we'd be able to answer them and answer them truthfully. God, I pray against the evil one whose desires are to steal, kill, and destroy. But God, you have come through Jesus to give life and life to the full. And so it's to that end that I ask that you stand in my body, think through my mind, speak through my vocal cords, those things you'd have us know, say, and do. God, you are our redeemer. You are our king. Would you have your way in this place? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can meet me in Matthew chapter 16. I believe it'll be up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 16. We're only going to look at verses 13 to 19. Verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, here's question one, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Is. Now, I love what Jesus is doing here. He, he's like a, a school teacher and the, the good ones. You know, the ones that ask the question, but in the question give you the answer? That's what he's doing here. And he's doing that with, with this phrase, son of man. When he, when he asks, who do people say that the son of man is? Now, son of man has two interpretations, both correct. The, the, the first one is when he says son of man, he's referring to himself as a man. See, Jesus was fully man, fully man, like you and me. He cried like we do. He was worried like we do. He got tired like we do, fully man. But, but because of that, he was able to sympathize with us. He's able to connect with our humanity because of his humanity. Now, it's one of those mysteries of the gospel because Jesus was fully man, but at the same time, fully God. Fully man and fully God. And so he says to them, who, who do they say the Son of Man is? But second interpretation, and that's where the goodness is, is that he's pulling, when he uses this phrase, Son of Man, he's pulling from Daniel chapter 7, verse 13 to 14, the prophecy that speaks of the one who would come to take away the sins of the world. And so he's, in a sense, giving them a clue when he says, hey, listen, guys, I'm going to ask a second question that's going to be more important than this first one. And here's the clue. Who do people say the Son of Man is? Here's their response. They replied, verse 14, 
Some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Now, now why these individuals? They're not just names on a page, they're significant. Why would people think, hmm, John the Baptist, Elijah, Jeremiah, well, let's break it down. John the Baptist, he was bold and uncompromising. Go read it. Bold and uncompromising. It cost him his life. And so as they look to Jesus, they're going, he's bold and uncompromising. Maybe some wondered, hey, did, did they kill the wrong person? They must have killed someone else because he, here is John the Baptist. No, no, that's Jesus. And so that's why maybe some thought, mm, John the Baptist, bold and uncompromising. Some say Elijah. Why Elijah? Well, Elijah was known for his miracles, phenomenal miracles, supernatural. Jesus, known for his miracles. He would go from village to village and town to town performing these miracles. And so maybe some thought, Elijah, maybe he's resurrected. Who knows? Some say Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet. Now, to unpack why maybe some thought Jeremiah, let me ask a question. What's the book that comes after Jeremiah? A little Bible knowledge. Start the year right. Lamentations, there we go. A phenomenal book, one that I would encourage you to go read. We, we don't lament enough. And a little bit of that performance, those pieces that you just heard were, were pieces of lamentation. And so Jeremiah, who wrote Lamentations, was lamenting the city of Jerusalem, was lamenting the people of God, was mourning and weeping. In fact, he's known as the weeping prophet the one who, who wept over the city because they were experiencing this harshness because of their disobedience to God. We see that Jesus laments. He laments. He laments over these people going, man, this is not how you were meant to live. You were designed for more. But because you want to be disobedient, because you turned away from the living God, this is the result of that disobedience. And so he laments over these people, the word compassion, splach, nizome, this, this deep urge in him to go, this is not how you were meant to live. And so maybe some thought, Jeremiah. See, a lot of people had a lot of thoughts about who Jesus was. Not much has changed today. Jesus stands and asks you through his word, who do people say I am? In our context, he's a good teacher. He's a moral guy. He's the person you go to if you want seven steps to a good life. He's just another prophet. Valid question, but not as important as the second one. See, the second question, if answered correctly, will literally change everything. Verse 15. But you, you, you sitting here in this school hall at Rooted Fellowship, you. He asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Now, there's two incredible things happening here. One 
is that Simon got it right. We'll see in a moment. And if you know a little bit about Simon, he's the guy who always answers first, but generally doesn't get it right. We all have that friend. If you're not laughing, you're probably that friend. The one who's always got the answer, and then it's like, yeah, yeah, no, no, that's, that's, no. That's Simon, that's Peter. But here he gets it right. But the second reason that this is incredible, uh, look with me, verse 12, Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. The incredible thing here is we get to see a glimpse of the gospel here that, listen, you don't figure this out on your own. You don't wake up one day and go, you know what, I have a really good idea. I think I'm going to give my life to Jesus because he is the Messiah, Messiah, Messiah. It's the anointed one. The one who was called by God for a specific ordained purpose, Messiah. The son of the living God. It's powerful what Simon slash Peter is saying here. You're the son of the living God. That you're, you're not just the one who has come to take away the sins of the world, Savior, but you're also Lord. You are King. Son of the living God. You see, they had understood who God was. As they had grown up reading the Old Testament, they saw over and over and over again that God is the one who is seated on the throne, that he is fully in control, that he's sovereign over everything. He is creator of everything. He's the sustainer of everything. And so Simon says, you are his son. Therefore, an inheritance that is due to you because you are his son. You are royalty. You are Lord. And that's important for us to know because some of us, we, we tend to see Jesus only as Savior. Jesus saved me and that's it. I can keep doing whatever I want to do because I've got this ticket to heaven. Failing to recognize that he is Lord over your life. And not just pockets of your life, your entire life. Lord of your relationships, Lord of your resources and money, Lord of your time, Lord of everything. This is the answer that Peter gives. And Jesus says, man, I praise the Father who is seated on the throne, who has revealed this to you. Because on your own, you would never choose God. You just wouldn't. We need his hand of grace to come down from heaven and, and dig into our hearts made of stone and transform them. We need his mercy. We need his forgiveness. We need to recognize that the gospel, the, the one that we say is, is central to everything that we do, is anchored on that truth that he is Savior and that he is Lord. And we start the year by asking these two questions. Look, it's, we should always ask, what do people think? It helps us figure out, okay, how do we contextualize the gospel? How do we make sure that it makes sense to the people out in the streets, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces? We should know. But more importantly, the question that you will get throughout this year in 2020 is, who do you say Jesus is? And my hope is that you would give this answer. 
verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overpower it. Now there's been much confusion about this particular scripture. Much confusion. Jesus looks to Simon and says, you are Peter, gives him a new name, you are Peter. And and on this rock I will build my church and the the gates of Hades, the, the hell will not overcome it. Here's where the confusion has gone. See, much of the Roman Catholic Church, not all of them, some of y'all are going to walk out here and tweet that Ones said, oh, the, no, that's not what I said. <laughs> much of the Roman Catholic Church has taken this passage and gone, you know what? Hey, because these words were said to Peter, then therefore Peter must be the father of the church. He must be the bishop of all churches. Uh, this is why in many illustrations, when we see Peter at, the, at heaven, he's at the gate, uh, and he's got the keys. We'll see uh, the, the phrase here, the keys. He's been given the keys, and so we take that and we say, because he has the keys, and because Jesus has said, I'm going to build on you the church, then therefore he must be the father of all churches. Uh, now, uh, there's a couple of reasons why that is incorrect. I wish I had time to unpack all of them, but I'll give you a few, and I'll be super quick. Uh, the one is, if that were true then I'm pretty sure Peter would have mentioned it in the many letters that he wrote. He would have started by going, uh, hey, to the scattered churches in Asia, minor, uh, it is I, uh, Peter, the father of all churches. I'm pretty sure he would have written that, but, but he doesn't. He refers to himself as a fellow elder. He's like, I'm just one of the guys. I'm just a servant like you. And so that's reason number one. In fact, if we uh, did a little bit of church history, we would see that actually James was the the leader, still not the father of the churches, but was the leader of the churches. And so Peter was under him. Uh, Second reason that we know that that interpretation that Peter is the father of the churches is incorrect is that I'm pretty sure in the rest of the New Testament, Predominantly written by Paul, but there were other writers as well. I'm sure they would have mentioned it at some point. I mean, this is important enough. It's significant enough for us as we seek to plant more and more churches that we know that, hey, guys, Peter is the father of all the churches. But none of them say that. None of them say that. But the third reason that the interpretation that Peter is the father of all churches is incorrect is found here. This is why I love Scripture interpreting Scripture. It's a play on words that Jesus does here. He, he says, you are Peter. He uses the word Petros, which means rock, stone. It's an individual pebble, if you will. He says, Petros, and on this rock, on this Petra, so there's Petros and then Petra. In fact, some interpretations actually say that instead of and on this rock, it says but on this rock, on this Petra. Petra, Petra, it's it's a solid rock, usually found under some deposits of soil. Solid rock. So he says, you, Peter, small stone, that's who you are. You're going to do some amazing things because I'm going to do them through you, even though you're small and insignificant and weak and human, just like us. On the statement that you have just made, 
on the Petra, I'm going to do something epic. I'm going to gather a number of these small stones, and I am going to do something incredible, so powerful that the gates of hell will not overcome it. Friends, this is why the church is so important. This is why the church is so valuable. It's not, a, it's not another, you know, book club that I show up to and someone speaks and maybe they're funny and then I go home and enjoy Sunday lunch. No, the, the church is this supernatural group of people who believe that Jesus is Savior and Lord. And so he says on that, I'm going to do something incredible that even the gates of hell will not be able to overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The keys to the kingdom. He looks to Peter. He's speaking to Peter, but but indirectly he's speaking to the other disciples. So he's speaking to Peter, but he's speaking to us. He says, I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom. Now, keys communicate power and authority. He says, I'm going to give them to you. And what do they do? They grant access. They grant access. How amazing is that? That that Jesus says, listen, the church, I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you power and authority. I'm going to give you the, the ability to grant access into the kingdom of God. Now, if we look at the book of Acts real quick, and I'm going to be super quick, you would see that that's what Peter and the disciples did. If you look at Acts 2, the day of Pentecost, Peter stands up, preaches a phenomenal service. The gospel speaks of Jesus, calls them to repent, asks them the question that they were. So now having said all of this, who do you say Jesus is? And they say he is the Messiah, the son of the living God. We're told 3,000 come to faith and are filled with the Holy Spirit, 3,000 Jews. And so, so access is now granted to the Jews. Jump with me to Acts 8. They engage the Samaritans. In fact, we're told that John was there as well, preached the gospel. The Samaritan comes to faith. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the Samaritans now have access to the kingdom of God. Jump to Acts 10. A Roman centurion, Peter's engaging with them. The centurion comes to faith. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. So is his household. Now the Gentiles have access to the kingdom of God. If you read the book of Acts, it goes on and on and on, over and over and over again. More and more people getting access to the kingdom of God because of the preaching of God's word. That this continues throughout history. We sit here because we've been granted access into the kingdom of God, but it doesn't end with us. As the church, now we go with the keys of the kingdom. Your place of work, your neighborhood, your family, your friends. You're going and you're going, okay, guys, let me tell you who Jesus is. I know you've been told this and that and and all sorts, but here's who he is. And I can say that because I believe that he's the Messiah, the son of the living God. And we get to grant access to those who've never heard of Jesus into the kingdom. Power and authority. Whatever's bound here has already been bound in heaven. Whatever's loosed here has already been loosed in heaven. That is who we are. And I want to start this here by reminding us of who we are. But to understand who we are, you need to personally ask yourself, who do you say Jesus is? Because if we get that wrong, none of it matters. 
We can sing great songs. We can gather in groups all around the city. We can talk about being transcultural till it comes out of our ears, but it will mean absolutely nothing. But if we anchor ourselves in the fact that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that he has come to take away the sins of the world, that all who surrender to him will be reconciled to the Father and have eternal life, and that they'll be brought into this family called the church, and that we are sent out, called out to mission to continue to preach the gospel so more and more people may grant access into the kingdom, then God is going to move. He's going to move. And we get to do that here. And so the invitation to you is that as we navigate through this year, and it's going to be an epic year, we're going to do some epic things, we really are. You need to stop every few steps and ask the question, so who who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to me? Before I get caught up in the source, as some like to say, who, who is Jesus? Because if you get that wrong, none of it matters. None of it matters. And so that is my hope, is that we would be those people that were remembered, remembered, despite what happens, challenges, trials, persecutions, regardless of the exciting things that are yet to come, we would be remembered as those who were found at the foot of the cross, saying he is the Messiah, the risen king, And we surrender everything to him. Power and authority. By the power of the Holy Spirit, because of Jesus, we cry out, Abba, Father. Let's pray. And so, Father, we come. We come asking that that you would do the work that only you can do. Yes, we preach. Yes, we teach. Yes, we share. We practice hospitality. We cross over to to different cultures and and ethnicities and races and all of that. We, We do all of these things, but we also recognize that you are the one who transforms. And so we're asking that this mission, this vision that you've given us, would you empower us to believe? First and foremost, that so many of us get caught up in, in we want to do this and we want to do that and we've got this plan and New Year's resolution and new habits. But Lord, would you empower us to believe? Many of us are doubting. Many of us are unsure, we're, unsure, we're unclear, we don't know, we're anxious, we're worried. Would you give us the power to believe? And as we believe that you would then equip, equip us, that all of us are different, we're wired differently. This speaks of your creative genius. Equip us so that we might be effective wherever you call us. Would you unify us as a church? That the work of the devil is to divide us is to bring us into this space and then to divide us. God, I pray that you would unify us. Father, we need you. We're desperate for you. We're thankful for you. Your grace, your love, and your mercy. And so help us to cry that out, to sing it out, that you're 
Your mercy is more. Your mercy is more. That because Jesus, you have not returned yet, there is still time for many to hear that your mercy is more. That there are maybe some in here who are on the fence and haven't surrendered and are wondering, can they? Yes, they can because your mercy is more. Help us, Father. It's in your beautiful name we pray. Amen.